So I want to welcome everyone who's arrived for this retreat. And this is quite an international group. And it's beautifully organized by the Buddha Dhamma Foundation of Singapore. And on this retreat, it's a, a chance for me. I particularly requested this retreat and invited you to come to it just to an opportunity for me to share what I've learned over the 50, over 50 years of living as a Buddhist monk. You're probably interested. You're all here because you have faith in, in the teachings of the Lord Buddha. And so we share that, that common interest. And of course the teachings of the Buddha are, you know, I keep referring to the fact that Buddha, the Buddha never taught Buddhism. That Buddhism came later, but he taught Dhamma. So in this retreat, it's a, it's always this pointing to Dhamma, to reality. <clears throat> so it's a, my style is more reflective. It's not, I don't have a, you know, particular technique I demand that you practice, but it's a, it's the ability that we have as human beings to reflect upon reality here and now. And the Buddha is very direct in his, in his first sermon, Four Noble Truths, <clears throat> very direct teaching that I found incredibly useful and has been the guide for all these years of my monastic life. Just these Four Noble Truths have, you know, have we, if we investigate, if we reflect on suffering, its causes, we begin to recognize non-suffering. The third noble truth is about the cessation of suffering. And that's where we realize Dhamma. Dhamma is non-suffering. During this retreat, the form will be the traditional three refuges and the eight precepts. And these precepts are, you know, are what we agree to during these next 10 days to live within this restraint about morality and behavior. Because the important thing on a retreat like this is, is that we're here, we need, we need to be with ourselves. We're in a, in a group a hundred or more people assembled here in this room. And, you know, we are not here for social, sociability, for finding out who's from where and what their names are, or what they believe in, or if they Buddhist or not. We're not interested in kind of spending time talking to each other. 
We're here to support each other in this endeavor to investigate, to reflect, to realize ourselves in this very direct way, the Dhamma, reality itself. Because most human beings at this time live with their illusions, what they think, what they believe in, without any kind of investigation or or insight into Dhamma. uh, This is a time where society is very materialistic, self-centered, you know, where we're emphasizing our self-importance. So during this retreat, the eight precepts are not about self-importance, but about agreements uh, to help each other, to support each other in this endeavor we call meditation, reflection, this ability to observe, to investigate. And we're not looking outward anymore, you know, like the, with meditation, we're not seeking Dhamma as some external thing that we've got to find, or even happiness, or whatever kind of desires you might have. We're not going out to, to find them, but we're looking inward. We're looking at this body that we're incarcerated in, it sits here like this, and the feelings and the moods, the memories, the sensory experiences through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. We begin to observe the thinking process rather than just try to think, use thinking as our method. Because the Buddha Dhamma is not, we can't realize ultimate reality through defining it or thinking about it or believing in it. It's through direct recognition, direct realization. So this, this kind of practice is, was very much encouraged by my teacher, Lumpo Cha at Wat Papong, and uh, he was, when, when I met him, I felt a great affinity. I thought this, this monk is really, you know, disciple of the Buddha. He's, he's really understands Dhamma. He's not just talking about Dhamma from scriptural teachings or through belief systems, but, but through his own direct inquiry and insight into the reality that we're all experiencing at this moment. So whatever you think you are, you know, if you've never meditated before, if you uh, find it difficult to understand what I'm saying, if you, you know, whatever mental state, emotional experience that you're going through, then I encourage this recognition. It is what it is. You know, you can't help the way you feel. I can't demand that you all uh, believe everything, every word I say or understand it or that you've got to believe in in the way I talk. But how my speech does affect you. What I say, the words I say, the directions that that I 
might encourage are just to guide you. They're not to convert you, not to intimidate you, not to kind of convince you of anything, but like the Buddha's teaching is an encouragement to awaken to reality. The Four Noble Truths is, is not a doctrinal teaching. It's not about believing it. And you don't have to believe in suffering you, because we suffer. We are aware, you know, one thing we all experience in our lives, whoever we are, rich or poor, male or female, European or Asian, we experience the First Noble Truth is quite a common, ordinary uh, experience that the Buddha used to investigate, to understand, that takes us to the deathless reality that we call Dhamma. So it's, it's not like a, you know, it's Buddha, Buddha Dhamma is not about a religion uh, that's based on belief. It's about individual like ourselves, individuals like ourselves who, who are given this teaching to investigate, to realize ourselves. And he said the, the Dhamma is something you can't find. It's not something that, that you, you can objectify. You can't see it, see the Dhamma, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it, or think it. But you are that. You're this aware presence here and now. And if I ask any one of you at any time, or all of you, <clears throat> whether you're aware, whether you're conscious, you, you all, every one of you will say yes. Consciousness is here and now. It's, it's what we are, not what we believe. But you can't objectify it. You can't find it as an object. You can't prove it to somebody else. But you, each one of you know at this very moment, your conscious, this aware, conscious, mindful reality of here and now. So during this next 10 days, I'll keep repeating this to, to encourage you to, to investigate whatever, whatever you think, you know, whether you think you can meditate or you can't meditate or you're not a good meditator or you've never meditated before. These are all views we might hold about ourselves. And then I always say, don't believe what you think. Because the directions of the Buddha are very clear and they're directing you toward looking here at, at where you feel, where you experience life through consciousness at every moment of your life ever since the beginning of time. So, I will, when, if someone requests the 
three refuges and the eight precepts. I will give these to you and this is about the external form, about noble silence. And we, and when we talk about and on a retreat of noble silence, it's not a kind of tyrannical silence that we're going to punish you if you speak, but it's a kind of noble silence where you take responsibility because we, we can spend our time chit-chat, chatting with each other, uh, trying to distract ourselves through speaking and talking. And this, this gives a special opportunity, a retreat like this, to be with yourself, to be fully aware of what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're experiencing, as it manifests, as it changes. And your refuge then is not in your own personal ideas of yourself as a separate personality, a separate human individual, but in the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this is in part of the this process, you're asking for the three refuges in the Buddha, the Dhamma and Sangha, <clears throat> and a refuge is a safe place, isn't it? We go to when we when we chant Bhutang Zernangachami, Namang Zernangachami, Sangkang Zernangachami. This can be just a ceremony in the Pali language. We use this ancient Indian language, Pali. And it can be seen as a ceremony, but we begin to realize it's much more profound than just chanting Pali, the, the refuges in Pali. But we're beginning to realize that Bhutang Sarnangachami is itself mindfulness. Buddha, the word Buddha means awakened consciousness. So when we chant Bhutang Sarnangachami, we're taking refuge in mindfulness, in conscious awareness, in presence. So it's not believing in Buddha as some uh, sage of the past. But it's a very direct sense of refuge, a safe place. Whatever you are, whatever state you're in, whether you're healthy, sickly, young or old, uh, you know, whether you're in a peaceful place or a warlike place, a refuge that you can always depend on is Bhutang Sarnangachami. And then Tamang Sarnangachami, refuge, I take refuge in the Dhamma. So that's reality. When you translate the Pali word Dhamma into English, the best word I've found so far is reality, ultimate reality. We're taking refuge in awareness because it's through a mindfulness we know the Dhamma. We realize ultimate reality. So Dhammang Sarnangachami is a is a safe refuge, a place of safety. Whatever time of day it is, morning, noon, evening, night, wherever you are, this Bhutang Zernangatami, Tamang Zernangatami, Sankang Zernangatami is 
to those who understand Dhamma. Each one of us is taking refuge in Sangha as we experience, as in right practice, in direct practice. So Sangha is like a group practicing in the right way. So we, we use all Sangha practicing in the right way, in the direct way. Refuge in Buddha and awareness and Dhamma in reality itself. These are the three refuges. Then the first uh, precept is to refrain from uh, taking the life of any creature. So here, you know, we determine to um, keep that precept in regard to the, the life of any living creature, whether it's especially human beings, but to refrain from uh, killing or intentionally destroying the life of, of other creatures like insects, mosquitoes, flies. So during this retreat, it's a, a hingsa retreat, you know, of non-violence, of watching when we're being irritated by mosquitoes or flies, and we want to get rid of them, we don't want them. That's a state of mind we can observe, rather than just reacting, uh, trying to get rid of it, kill it, destroy its life. And the second precept is uh, refrain from taking things that are not given to you. So you're sharing rooms and we're in groups so that on this precept we're trusting each other because we're all under this this precept of Adina Dana Viramani Sikabadang Samadhi Ami. The third precept Abramacharya we're living a celibate life during these ten days, not to seek any kind of sexual enjoyment or entertainment or experience to live the these ten days as a brahmachari. Then the uh, fourth one, right speech. So uh, this is about not using speech to insult, harm, curse, swear, delude, lie, uh, in any way, and then we're even going further in trying to uh, encourage the noble silence. So we're taking responsibility for our ability to speak, to talk, and it's one of the most difficult ones, I think, even in monastic life, of all the monastic precepts. You know, it's so easy to just get caught up in heedless conversations and so forth or, or uh, and so that that right speech is is something to to determine as a precept for this retreat or I hope you will take that to take the encouragement for noble silence seriously and the fifth precept to refrain from <clears throat> intoxicants, uh, drugs that change consciousness, 
so like uh, refrain from alcoholic drinks or from uh, drugs like you know addictive substances because in this kind of practice we want the kind of raw consciousness that you're experiencing now whatever it is whatever state you might be in you know so you're not trying to change it or make it better or or try to get caught in some kind of special conscious state like taking various drugs hallucination hallucinogenics drugs that that we experience different kinds of consciousness experience we want to awaken to normal mundane ordinary conscious experience that we will go through sitting here in this dhamma hall then the the um, sixth precept vikala is to refrain from seeking food and eating you know other than the appropriate time so during this retreat it's organized so the the schedule tells us when we can when the meals are provided and, the, and after 12 noon then we don't have any kind of food we refrain from that And so in that precept also, you know, most of you are used to having evening meals and and uh, whenever you feel unhappy or lonely or something, eating is one way to distract ourselves. So this is a way of dealing with this. The eating habits that we've developed, we're not trying to fast or prevent eating. There's nothing raw, immoral about eating meals in the evening, but on the eight precept uh, agenda, we're refraining from taking food in the in the afternoon, in the evening. Then um, the seventh precept is to refrain from singing, dancing, going to shows, playing games, uh, dressing up in, you know, so we encourage you to wear just kind of ordinary kind of garments. This is not about fashion or, or, you know, wearing, uh, dressing up for the occasion. It's about diminishing the sense of ourself, not through some kind of display of, of how, of our fashion sense, but just to, relieve ourselves from a feeling obliged to uh, wear cosmetics, dress up, and so forth. Then the, the last one is to not spend your time sleeping. So it's not to, you know, here at Puttarafa the accommodations are quite comfortable, so make the best of them. But this ten days is to refrain from, in you know, spending your time uh, in the sleep state. 